For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome, guys, to So Real Sports Talk TV. It is Thursday. We are three sleeps away from the 49ers week four matchup with the Arizona Cardinals. We're not going to leave you hanging. I got baby bro Rohan Chakraverti with me today, and we're going to give you the inside scoop on what to expect from the game. Stay tuned. Keep it locked. We got you. up fam thank you so much for joining us on so real sports talk tv man i haven't done that intro in quite some time rohan i don't think i've been hosting that much kind of just been uh eating off your plate and jesse's plate so it's nice to be back the man in charge but you are the star of the show rohan how are you doing this fine morning sir i'm doing good man uh glad to you know talk shop on uh on a fun Thursday morning, unfortunately, show with Ryan couldn't go on earlier today, so you know had to had to call up my man Sunil, and we had a fun. You know, we're gonna have a fun one here, chopping it up. Always right do Monday. Always do, but um, want to get some housekeeping things out uh, when it comes to the 49ers. Um, this actually came across uh, earlier this week or maybe last week, but um, the 49ers extended Shanahan and Lynch. Um, we've heard, you know, Shanahan speak about this. He obviously was grateful and, and, and thinks it's a great move. Haven't gotten your take on it. Uh, one, what do you think about this extension? And two, uh, do you think it was the right move to make at this time? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Shanahan, Lynch, and their era in the offseason. Kind of what's their window because the 49ers haven't won a Super Bowl in the six years going into year seven now that they've been there, have been very close, have been one of the more successful regimes through the era, especially if you look at the last four years where they've made the playoffs and really the NFC Championship game in three of the last four seasons. When you look at that success, you 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 can understand why this move's made. The main discourse is, should the window continue to be extended without the uh, without a Super Bowl, really, given the way that this roster has become uh, or this roster has unfolded and the championship window that comes with it? But John uh, Jed York, you know, he what he looked for is sustainability. And I guess that's what he's seeing right now in Cal Shanahan and John Lynch. What are my thoughts now? Do I think that this is a good standard for accountability if your goal is to win a Super Bowl? No. Because I thought, you know, you you have these contracts done before twenty or until twenty twenty five through through the next three seasons, including this year, and so you had a window to see if these were your guys. But when you look at it from a bird's eye view, you can't deny that Kyle Shanahan's a top five, top ten coach in the NFL, and that a lot of teams would line up just to sign him. And Jed York has already been through that situation with the power struggle that. Um, you know, Trent Balky and Jim Harbaugh had back in 2014, he lost a strong, uh, strong coach and really didn't recover until he hired Kyle Shanahan with a couple of misfires along the way. 
I don't think he wants that situation again. He understands that when it's going good, don't mess up the formula, even if it's not providing you the overall result, because the 49ers are a very lucrative business right now. And so I can definitely understand the sentiment to it. My only gripe with it is that I don't know if it provides the best standard for accountability. However, I'm not opposed to it, especially for Kyle Shanahan, because I do think he's such a good head coach that is very going to be very hard to replace. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a self-proclaimed Shanahan, so you know, I'm I'm biased. I think it's a great move just because you keep who I think is uh, you know one of the best coaches and. With one Super Bowl, I think you're talking about moving from top five, top ten to probably top three uh, coach uh, with just that, you know, just that is holding him back from being spoken about as, you know, top three coach in the league. Um, you know, the the to me, I think you hit it on the head when you talked about what um, Jed York has dealt with losing Harbaugh, right? I think that in that situation – you know, I think we, from a fan's perspective, we just look at it like, um, you know, are they winning Super Bowls or not, which we should. And, you know, we, we would love to think that that's exactly what our the ownership of the uh, franchise is looking for. And that's their rubric. Like if they're winning Super Bowls, they stay. If they're not winning Super Bowls, get them out. But I think there's that balance when you're running a business, it's profitability, like you mentioned, Rohan but also who you enjoy working with, right? Like Jed York is owning this team. You know, we, we've heard of the stories about him and Harbaugh, maybe not seeing eye to eye um, on, on all things, even though Harbaugh was winning as a coach and there was a lot of success um, as an organization when Harbaugh was the coach. So I think that also plays a role because it's safe to say Jed York, Kyle Shanahan, Lynch, they all have a really, really great, uh, relationship together and I think that plays a big role like in any anybody that's worked for any kind of company Rohan or just any team um, club whatever it is if people like you or the leadership or the decision makers like you you tend to they tend to want to keep you around more because that's a big deal for people that are decision makers is they want to like the people they work for and then on top of that if you're getting a high level of work from them which you can't deny that Kyle Shanahan and Lynch have put together with the roster they put together and the type of success that they've had. It makes it an easy decision to continue with that, right? But my question to you, Rohan, is one of the big successes of this regime has been their ability to scout, draft, and develop players, right? And a key cog in that is Adam Peters. Now, Adam Peters was close to leaving last offseason because of, um, you know, he's obviously a hot candidate for GM roles. And safe to say there's going to be some GM availabilities this upcoming season. Maybe even a team or two that, that has the possibility of getting Caleb Williams as the, as the number one pick. Kyle Shanahan in this last offseason had a conversation with Adam Peters and, uh, you know, really – kind of begged him to come back, quote unquote, or not necessarily beg, but had a strong conversation have, uh, telling him things were going to change to stay. And I think one of the things that I don't know if it's been reported or just rumors circulating, Rohan, was that Adam Peters was promised more power within the organization, especially when it comes to, quote unquote, GM duties. With this, specifically the Lynch portion of this extension, what does that mean for Adam Peters and in my opinion, I think he is going to probably go this offseason because he it's hard to pass up full control over what he's going to have here. But if he does walk, Rohan, what does that mean for the 49ers and their ability to really find these gems in the late round of the draft? I, I think that there are a couple of things here to unpack. One, talk about Adam Peters. We'll first talk about the potential of him leaving. And you're right. He has been a hot commodity around the NFL. He's gotten NFL GM interviews two consecutive seasons in a row, was the finalist for the New York Giants job uh, two years ago, obviously. They went with the head coach GM tandem of Joe Shane and Brian Dable, who was their number one guy last year, got a couple of interviews, turned them all down, including ones for the Arizona Cardinals. I forget the other team. Um, 
think might it might have the been Vikings. the Tennessee Titans. Might have been the Tennessee Titans because I think they require uh, their quest both of them, and Peters uh, declined. But overall, um, I think there are a couple of things to think about for Adam Peters. I mean, the number one thing when it comes to GM job is not only it, it's the power, but it's also the pay grade. And I think the 49ers can figure out a way to retain Adam Peters if they want to, because that financial part is not a part of any cap space or anything like that. It's up to Jed York. The other portion is Adam Peters, a homegrown guy, might just want to stay here for a little bit. But I do think Adam Peters is deserving of a, uh, of a job. And so if he does leave, I think the 49ers, how does it affect them? I honestly, and I'm, I'm not saying this in a bad way, I don't think it'll affect them as much as people might anticipate. The reason being, Adam Peters is the isn't the only guy who's you know running scouting and things like that. He's he's a, he's an integral portion of it. But I do think that the scouting department itself has a good number of names where they've been able to accurately you know go through and identify talent. I mean, uh, you have Tariq Ahmad, who I believe is the director of college scouting. You've got a couple of people in there. Um, Adam Peters though is a significant portion. I mean, he's he's the head honcho. He's the leader of the guy. Uh, the group and the guy who's essentially been designed as the next in charge. I don't know if this extension for John Lynch essentially means that he's going to remain here for a long time. It's just more so job security to get that conversation out of the way. But um, if Adam Peters does leave, don't think it impacts the 49ers as much, but I also don't expect John Lynch. I don't know how long the extension's for. Don't expect him to be here for the duration of this contract. This is a, a fable JVC um, as stated, and this is something that I think a lot of people are rumoring or think that possibly could happen is elevate Peters to GM and Lynch to president of operations. Um, I don't, per, me per se, I don't really know what this necessarily does. Like what would Lynch as president of uh, operations do differently than what he's doing right now? Does that give, adam peters like full say or full gm control or is he still running things by lynch how does he feel about that because i agree with you rohan in the sense that obviously it's not just adam peters it's adam peters along with you know the rest of the scouting department but like fable says here peters if he leaves who knows who he takes with him does it deplete that um scouting department but for me i think the biggest deal is how well do how do adam peters and john lynch see the game like do they have the same kind of mentality or are they looking for the same type of player because there's a stark contrast i think rohan between the higher rounds let's say rounds one through three who are selected and then those lower rounds four through seven who are selected and i think common uh understanding of how the draft goes is Shanahan and Lynch have more of a say in those top three rounds. And then it kind of becomes Adam Peters draft from rounds four to seven. And I, look, this is all rumors. Who knows if it's true or if it's breaking down like that. But if it is, there's a stark contrast to how much they hit in those bottom rounds versus how often they hit in those top rounds, Rohan. So when you say you don't think it's going to be affect that much, if that is the case, isn't that something to worry about? Because this team has succeeded, not so much because of the how well they've drafted into the top three rounds, but more importantly, how, how they've been able to hit in the bottom three rounds. I, I think that, I mean, that's fair. I do think that uh, when you talk about the bottom rounds, I mean, Adam Peters, obviously, the guy charged with the most credit um, for that. And I mean, yeah, I, I do think that that's something you'll definitely have to look at. The 49ers will have to um, figure that out in terms of who's who they elevate or who they try and push from other organizations. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, though, in that they've been able to replace top guys before. I mean, there have been a lot of people that have left the 49ers front office to go get jobs elsewhere. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but Adam Peters would undoubtedly still be, you know, pretty significant loss. Like I said, not as much as many people would anticipate, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Adam Peters would be a pretty solid loss. And I think, you know, Harold, this is, I think is a great point. Um, and, and hopefully more true than maybe some of the other sentiments that uh, maybe a misconception, the 49ers truly work as a team and make decisions based off, based on the team feedback. And, you know, it's, 
I think there is a lot of truth to what Harold's saying. And, you know, we could leave it at hopefully that's that'll be the case. And look, th there, this doesn't necessarily mean that Adam Peters is gone. Um, it's just I think there is writing on the wall with this extension that it possibly can be sooner than later unless he's, you know, willing to stick it out another few years. Um, but let's get into the – we actually have a game we want to talk about, Rohan. So week four – 49ers are going up against the Cardinals, turning into probably more of a, a competitive matchup, especially with what the Cardinals were able to accomplish against the Cowboys last week. But before we get into the actual game itself, uh, Debo popped up on the injury list uh, and was held out of a practice um, yesterday, at least. I don't know if he's practicing today. But, uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk is still limited. Now we're starting to see these injuries pile up to a specific, you know, position group being the wide receivers. We know how much this offense needs the receivers for it to be successful. Do you have any worries about the injuries to the wide receiving group? And do you think it could play uh, a role in how this game is played out this this week? I, I do have worries, and it's not necessarily just with Debo Samuel in terms of him specifically missing this game, but it's also overall with the way that, I mean, when you look at last week's game, right, Debo Samuel was there, but no Brandon Ayuk. And here's one thing I said. I think the 49ers could have easily won last week's game without Brandon Ayuk, and that was clear. They won 30-12. to 12. It was pretty pretty dominant overall, even though it didn't seem like the best effort. You know, you, you definitely have room to improve, and they won 30-12. to 12. I think the same's this week. I think they can win without Debo Samuel, but what I said last week during the game is, you can win without Brandon Ayuk, but the offense looked different without Brandon Ayuk. You didn't have the deep threat. You didn't have a guy threatening uh, downfield, and that's the number one way to really um, you know, force defenses that blitz at such a high rate to take their take the gas pedal off because you have to respect the deep threat. You can't just go cover zero or you can't just go, you know, single high over the top and because you're going to get beat over the top. And that's what Brandon Ayuk would have provided with his route running capabilities and his deep threat ability. But if Brandon Ayuk's here, Debo Samuel is not here, do I think they can beat the Arizona Cardinals? Yes. I also expect them to win by two scores. But when you talk about the Arizona Cardinals – and this game overall, I do think that you miss an element, especially with the way Arizona's trying to play. They're trying to, you know, the way that you you play when you don't have as much talent as the other team is trying out physical them, try and win in those ways. And that's exactly what Debo Samuel provides. I think the 49ers miss an element of their offense without Debo Samuel. I also do think Brandon Ayuk is more valuable to their passing attack. And so if they bring him back, I think that that kind of offsets the, the issue. But I, I here's what I'll like. I'll say the same thing as I said last week because I do think it's true. 49ers can win if their receivers are hurt, but you obviously can see the difference when they're not on the field. Yeah, and I mean, especially in the beginning of that game, Brock, uh, Brock Purdy seems you know really seemed out of sorts, and Brandon Ayuk is turning into a kind of safety net blanket for Brock Purdy because of his catch radius, because of his ability to just create space with one-on-one -on -one matchups. You know, Brandon Ayuk, obviously, and, you know, we've only really seen it from one week, but if you combine that with all of last season, he's really ascending as a player and becoming one of the top receivers um, in the league and especially for this 49ers offense. Now, you know, not to look too far ahead, uh, Rohan, but obviously next week it, it is a really big matchup against the Cowboys. If you are Kyle Shanahan, if you are um, the 49ers, would you do kind of what they did last week, hold out because they held out Brandon Ayuk? Obviously, it was a, a you know short week matchup, but would you hold out a guy like Debo, let him get an extra week to really get healthy because you know you think that you could win without him? Obviously, Ronnie Bell stepped up and played really well in um, Brandon Ayuk's absence. Do you hold Debo out? Possibly go with just, uh, you know, uh, Ayuk, Jennings, and Ronnie Bell as your three receivers. Um, you know, compete against Arizona, get that win, and then keep make sure that Debo and Ayuk can be healthy going into that week five matchup with the Cowboys. I do think that's uh, something you got to think about, right? Because uh, the week five matchup with the Cowboys is important. But 
what I'll also say is this is a conference game. And while the opponent might not be as strong, the most important thing when it comes to your uh, to to getting a high seed, to winning, you know, to to essentially secure yourself at least one first round buy is winning all of your division games. That's the number one. Uh, that's the number one importance because if it comes down to a tiebreaker, it goes to division games in terms of in your division. Now, I do think the 49ers win their division. I don't think that it'll come down to a tiebreaker, but it's things like that that matter. And you want to go six and zero or five and one in your division games this year. Now, I'll yeah. say this as well. I do think the 49ers will win if they don't play Debo Samuel. And if it's at a point where he's 50-50, iffy going into the game, I would not mind that they do the exact same decision as they did uh, this week, sit Debo Samuel. But I also, given the way Kyle Shanahan talked about it, I also anticipate Debo Samuel is just going to toughen it out and play. Yeah, which is a little bit worrisome because Debo only knows how to play one way. And, uh, you know, you, that way is obviously with breaking tackles, really. Um... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, putting his body on the line week after week, and that's what the fan base loves about him. That's what makes him, you know, the elite weapon that he is on offense. So, you know, especially with the ribs being injured, like being there, you know, he's gonna he's gonna get hit. So can he play through it? I'm sure he's gonna want to. So that's where I think the question comes. And you know what's funny is we we're kind of forgetting about George Kittle is on this team, right? Like the receivers have become so good, Rohan, that, you know, George Kittle is kind of not an afterthought per se, but as far as a receiving weapon, I don't think he's, we've fully seen him integrated the way that he was at the end of the season when last year, when Brock Purdy was throwing, he was getting multiple touchdowns by from Brock Purdy. So it's going to be interesting that maybe that could give a chance to get, Kittle more uh, into the passing game. What do you think about uh, that aspect of the uh, of the passing game? Essentially, trying to just get more Kittle involved in a way. Yeah, do I think, think it's necessary. I, do I think it's necessary? No, but do I think it adds an extra element? Yes. And here's the way that I view the 49ers passing game. I don't think there's a need to really force feed a single target. I think that. The way the 49ers are going to operate this year is spread the ball around, understanding the way that they can operate with the amount of weapons that they have. I think they're spreading the ball around. I mean, you saw that when when all, all of their weapons were healthy the first two weeks of the season. You saw an equal spread. You know, you see less of McCaffrey in the passing game. It was five targets one game, three targets another game. I mean, Ayuk had the, the the big game in week one, right? Debo Samuel followed it up with a solid game in week two, six catches, 63 yards, things like that. But it's more of the ball being spread around. It was cool to see Kittle, though, break out. I think what's important is you understand that each of these guys can have that breakout game. You, you, you can go. If you call one guy's number, you know that they can have that type of game. But overall, it's not necessary, and instead – the spreading of the ball to all of your weapons just diversifies your offense, allows it to flow as efficiently as it has, and you know keeps all of your options on the table. So I don't necessarily think that it's important to get Kittle the ball more, but maybe maybe run more routes, maybe potentially. I haven't seen the numbers on that yet, but overall, I, I think that they've done a good job in spreading the ball around to the, uh, the majority of the teammates. Harold asked the question: Does CMC need rest? Um... You know, obviously there was the week two matchup where CMC played every single rep as the running back. Kyle Shanahan, I think, was asked that in, in the post-game press conference or in one of the press conferences, and he took accountability for that. And you saw, you know, in week three that um, Elijah Mitchell was put in a lot more. So whether CMC needs rest or not, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to get it because he's such a important part of the offense if not the most important part of this offense but you are seeing that elijah mitchell is getting a lot more uh run and there were times in drives where cmc was on the sideline for multiple plays um do you think that 
Rohan, that CMC is getting enough rest based off of what you saw in week three, or do you think it should be even more of a balance with the rest of the running backs uh, and CMC? I think that's a good question. I mean, when you look at the, the what do you call it, the touches, CMC had 23 touches in that game uh, compared to 18. I believe, or no, 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 I'm sorry, 23 total touches, 18 rushes. He had five receptions for 34 yards. So he he still had a good amount of volume in the game, right? When you look at the snap count, though, that tells a little bit of a different story in that Christian McCaffrey in week three obviously scaled down because the 49ers ran the football a lot more, also had a ton of offensive plays in general um, because, I mean, they 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 had – the time of possession they dominated you know it was 83 offensive plays and i believe christian mccaffrey only played 51 of them total and so he he played uh what is that around 60 percent of the snaps i think that that's doable um i'm not gonna say you can limit christian mccaffrey just because it's so clear how valuable he is especially when you see him and another running back play simultaneously you see the difference, and this is no slight at Elijah Mitchell, a talented running back, a starter on a couple of teams in the NFL for sure. But I do think that it, there isn't just an, an, an insane amount of value of having McCaffrey on the field in the passing game, in the running game. I think that, you know, overall, it's so it's blatant how important McCaffrey is. I'm fine with 60% snap share, you know, something like that. Now, it's important. You want to you wanna keep him resting. You want to make sure that he can go throughout the duration of the season with the amount of, of, you know, physical burden that is put upon his body every single week. But I do like the the split, and I don't think the touches maybe will be as high because I don't know if they're going to run 83 offensive plays a game with the way um, which was the case against the Giants. Well said. All right. So you have already mentioned this a few times as far as how important – these divisional games are when you look at the outlook of playoff seeding. Um, I think especially with the NFC and, you know, teams like the Eagles um, that are also undefeated and obviously a, a, a favorite in the NFC as well. You know, we, the, getting that number one seed and that buy in the playoffs, I think is going to be extremely important for any team uh, going into the playoffs and obviously having home field advantage through that. You don't want to have to give up any games, but I mean, it's important not to give up any games. Um, so I want to set it up this way. Obviously, next week is a big matchup that I'm sure the 49ers had circled on their on their calendar because they know that the, the Cowboys have it circled on their calendar, which is a matchup against the Cowboys, which obviously is a matchup of the top three teams in the NFC. However, the Arizona Cardinals record is one and two, but all three of those games that they've played, they had the lead going into the fourth quarter and the fourth quarter, their level of play that they had in the fourth quarter dictated whether they won or lost. So they ended up obviously only winning one, which was a big win against Dallas last week. They lost, you know, two games previous, but easily with a couple, you know, with, with a couple better plays here and there, this team could be three and oh, so they're not, even though they're one and two and obviously going in, there wasn't much uh, hoopla around this team or they weren't expected to do anything. In fact, a lot of people thought they might be tanking uh, for Caleb Williams. It seems like that isn't the case. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're a frisky team, quote unquote, but is this a potential trap game for the 49ers because of, the game that's coming up next week? Or do you think based off of what you're seeing from this team, um, what you're hearing from, from the interviews and the coaching staff that they are locked in for this game and not looking too far ahead? Um, do I think this is a potential trap game? And I don't, I maybe, maybe, you know, you clip this and you could say I'm wrong. I see trap games on the schedule. I just don't think this is the one. I mean, the, the Arizona Cardinals played well last week against the Dallas Cowboys, um, for sure. They ran the ball very, very well. I mean, that was the key catalyst to their offense. I just don't see how they beat the 49ers, though. The Cowboys, when you look at it, some of their biggest inefficiencies was their offense. And this is not new. Their offense did not look as amazing as the 40-0s you know, uh, start to the New York Giants indicated their offense hadn't looked as strong as you might have expected them to look overall and they also 
I mean, it's not like they were out of the game. They had a couple of cool opportunities. I mean, good opportunities. Dak Prescott threw an interception in the red zone. They weren't able to convert on, uh, you know, on a couple of situations. They had opportunities to win. I just don't expect the 49ers to play like that the way that the Cowboys played. I thought that was more so of a fluke and also a testament to the way that the Cardinals were able to, you know, physically overcome the challenge. And I do expect the 49ers to be better against the run. That hasn't been an issue thus far this season. I think that they've defended the run really well. Maybe a couple of explosives here and there. I think it's only like two or three explosives overall in the whole season, but they've defended the run at a high uh, at a high clip. And I don't see how Arizona is going to be able to contain, um, you know, going to be able to muster more offense outside of the run game against the 49ers. So I don't know if they're going to be able to put up 28 points in this game. I also don't think they're going to hold the 49ers offense to 16 points. So I do see other trap games, but if I'm being honest, I don't think this is a trap game. I think that the the argument, you can make an argument given the way that last week went, just don't think this is a trap game. But I also don't think the 49ers are going to overlook this one. And they shouldn't because Josh Dobbs is another guy who can be a dual threat quarterback. He has proven that he can take off with his legs. Not necessarily the most athletic guy, not the fastest guy or whatever, but he can take off with his legs. And I think the 49ers have struggled with some of those mobile quarterbacks and they're going to have to find a way to contain like they did last week. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you said actually plays into why it could have been a trap game just because, you know, usually if you're going into a game and you understand, hey, this team really doesn't have much, many ways to actually beat us because of how we are, that is kind of what a trap game is. Plus, there's another team that you're really looking forward to. But I think Eric Dane sums it up pretty well. It might have been a trap game if the Cowboys rolled the Cardinals, but beating the Cowboys means the 49ers won't take the Cardinals lightly, right? So I think the way that the card the 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 fact that the Cardinals beat the Cowboys last week helps the 49ers out in a few ways. One, it obviously puts a loss on the Cowboys for a game that they quote unquote should have won, which makes it harder for them now to become the number one seed in the league. Um, but it also Make sure that if there were any sentiments that this was just going to be an easy win for the 49ers, now that's gone, right? Because they just saw a team that I'm sure they do respect in the Cowboys get an L from this team. Uh, so I think absolutely at this point, there's no way this could be a trap game because of what the what the Cardinals showed last week. So um, it should be a good one, though, man. I, we I think a lot of people expected – uh, the Rams 49ers game to be a lot more, uh, a lot less competitive, I guess I should say. And that ended up being kind of a close game till the, till the end of the, uh, till the fourth quarter. This is, I'm sure the Cardinals have been looking forward to this game quite a bit. They want to be able to, you know, show that they're capable and everybody knows the NF, uh, the 49ers are the class of the NFC West at this point. So I'm sure everybody's kind of targeting them. But with that being said, I think one of the things, um, Rohan, is obviously the play of Brock Purdy. You know, I, I think he's been playing relatively well. Obviously, there's, you know, there, he was shaky um, at the beginning of the game last week, but uh, he pulled it together against a historic blitz rate um, from the Giants. Now, one criticism that the 40, um, that people have on Purdy is they, they haven't really seen him uh, have to play necessarily from behind and and have that game winning kind of two minute drill at the end of the fourth quarter and all that kind of stuff. Not as much, I guess, um, adversity, right? Yeah. But um, based off of what you've seen, you know, obviously out of Purdy, now it's it's a larger sample size, right? Now we're looking at eleven regular season games we've seen out of Purdy as him as a starter. Are you seeing enough out of him? Um, or is there still questions that you have that you, you need to, you need to see in maybe specific situations or, um, I guess just overall, have you seen enough out of Purdy to be confident that he's the right quarterback for the 49ers this year? Um, to be confident that he's the quarterback. Yes. In that I do believe that if you were talking about the three options from the off season, Purdy is undoubtedly the guy that you would roll with going into the season, and that's why the 49ers went with the way that they've gone. Brock Purdy is impressed. He has definitely improved. 
and he looks like a top 15 option at the moment. You know, he's around that. He's in the teens for sure. Somewhere in that teens range. I, I'm sure a lot of people have different discrepancies of where they actually rank pretty overall. He's looking good, though. I mean, I, I don't think you can deny that he's not looking like a, you know, an, at least a top 17, 18 option overall. And that's not something you necessarily could have said before with certainty because he's putting more and more in game film on. Now, I think I do think that, you know, the first game, I thought his first half was really good. Second game, I thought, you know, there were some ups and downs. Third game started slow but then really adjusted to the blitz and made some high-level throws, had some good pocket presence overall, and that's what you kind of want to see. He's going to have his limitations, and that ultimately, like I've said before, is going to dictate um, how high his ceiling can be. But I'm impressed with Brock Purdy so far. It's been a good sign, and I do think that, you know, uh, he he's shown that he can be a solid quarterback. Now, it depends on how the question is, can that win a Super Bowl for the 49ers? If they're executing the way that they are, you know, thus far, albeit against some worse opponents, if they're executing the way that they have so far, you can make the argument. We'll see how it goes, but been impressed with Brock Party so far, for sure. I know you've, you've mentioned, you know, in earlier shows that we've done together that you don't feel like Brock Purdy is the right quarterback for this team to win a Super Bowl with. Has he changed that mentality for you at all um, as far as now you think that it is possible to win a Super Bowl with him as the starting quarterback? I don't think so. I, 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 that That's a wait and see. And honestly, I think that question is going to be answered only in the playoffs because truly when it, the, the difference between a Super Bowl-level quarterback and a you know, an NFC championship level quarterback isn't much. It's just the, the the big moments and the ability to go win in a shootout against one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, because that's what's going to happen. If you go ahead and you go to a Super Bowl, you're going to face a strong quarterback option on the other side. And so I, I, I don't know if my opinions change necessarily, because even if you're a top 15 quarterback, it's tough to name when a you know a ten to fifteen option has won has won a Super Bowl in recent memory. I mean, you might have to go to Nick Foles. I think Nick Foles would probably be the number one option. But apart from that, you look at the last few Super Bowl quarterbacks, right? Mahomes in twenty twenty three, you, you or in sorry in twenty twenty two. 2021 with Stafford, he was easily a top ten option at the time. Uh, you go back to twenty twenty, Mahomes twenty nineteen. I mean, you can Brady. say Brady, uh, and then uh, eighteen was. 18 was Brady, Foles. 19 was Mahomes, uh, and then Foles was in there too. You know, you can throw in a bunch of different names, but really Foles is the one guy in the last six, seven years that you can say was not a top 10, 15 option, and that's my main question. It's not how good can Brock Purdy be. I'm impressed with him, and I I mean, I expect him to be a fairly solid starting quarterback, better than what the 49ers have had in the past in the last few years of the Shanahan era. But truly, there is a, there's a barrier between top 10, 15 and winning a Super Bowl. And so that's something we're going to have to wait and see. Not sold yet. I mean, it's three games into the season. I think that there's going to need to be a significant more body of work as well as some high-level games, but we'll wait and see and how that goes. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the debate with whether where to place Brock Purdy on, I guess, rankings, right? I, I feel like it's kind of... <laughs> is going off of the eye test and not off of his production. Because if you just look at his production numbers, he's easily a top 10 quarterback. I mean, his efficiency, QB rating, yards, you know, he's one of two quarterbacks, I think, that hasn't thrown an interception this season. Um, you know, and he's one of the top, like, it's not like he's not going up against adversity. I think he's one of the top, I think, five quarterbacks as far as pressure rate like he he's getting pressured 40 percent of his uh, of the times um he's dropping back which you know to be able to be putting up the numbers that he's putting up with the type of pressure that he's seeing it, it is fairly impressive the other quarterbacks that are higher than him all are either haven't had a, a win a game or only have won one game and he's won three games with this type of pressure so i'm starting to to think that there's it's just like a, you know criticism against Brock Purdy is kind of like well what more does he have to do he's never going to be Mahomes he's never going to be this guy that could like do all these no look passes or 
drop the ball in a bucket, you know, 50 yards down the field. But he's not asked to do, do that. And what he is asked to do and what he has to do to make this offense consistently put up 30 points a game like they have in the last three games, he does at a very, very high level. So to me, I think it. I think that if he was drafted in the second round, Rohan, he would easily be a top 10 quarterback. But because he was drafted in the seventh round, based off of second round draft and what he's putting up numbers-wise, because numbers-wise, if you just take away the name and just put up stats, he's not a top 15 quarterback. He's a top 10 quarterback, and a lot of teams would want to choose him based okay. off of the yards and touchdowns to interception ratio, QB rating, uh, c completion percentage, all the things that you put on paper as far as why a quarterback is the, a top quarterback. So I guess you, you disagree. Tell me why um, you disagree when if you just did a blind reveal, he's easily probably even higher than a top 10 quarterback based off of just his numbers. Because statistics aren't the number one thing. I mean, we've seen – I don't like the argument of statistics because we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo. When you talk about statistics and the way that certain statistics can hoodwink, you know, arguments into saying that he's better than he potentially is because you look at certain numbers. You can talk about efficiency, EPA per play, things like that that don't always correlate specifically to a quarterback. Now, do I think Brock Purdy is better than Jimmy Garoppolo? I do. I definitely do, um, uh, especially with what we've seen this season compar uh, for, comparatively for the two quarterbacks. And I think you brought up a good point. You're saying how Brock Purdy doesn't need to do what other elite quarterbacks do, do for their offense, given the offense. Well, the one thing is we haven't seen this offense win a Super Bowl yet, and that's because of the quarterback play. I mean, alternatively, if you, you you can point to the quarterback play as the primary reason as for why the 49ers haven't won a Super Bowl yet. If you look at the if you look at the opportunities that San Francisco has had, and so that's where I'm thinking there needs to be an elevation in quarterback play. And to what extent, I don't personally know because we have it that that only can be defined in big games. And so that's the main reason. I think when you talk about Brock Purdy and being a top ten quarterback, you can't just look at statistics. You are right. The eye test is the most important factor in the entirety of the in the entirety of the thing. And so when you look at statistics, I think that that at least certain statistics can lead you astray. Does this mean statistics don't matter? Absolutely not. As an analytics guy, I value statistics pretty heavily, but I also value what you see with the eye test. And being top 10 versus top 15 isn't a slight towards Brock Purdy. Does this mean he can't improve? No. I mean, people talk about his limitations and feel that that's the reason why he's stagnant. He can't go from top you know, from bottom 20 to top 10 or something like that. No, I had Brock Purdy outside of my top 20 or sorry, top 15 quarterbacks last year. He's probably around number 15 for me right now. I think that he consistently can show he improves, but the way that he improved uh, with the way that he's progressing. And I do think that there are certain ways that he can continue to improve that he himself knows and likely can work on as he continues to get better into his NFL career. I don't think the draft stigma really um, does much. I think, honestly, it probably accelerates some people's eyes rather than decelerates because of how impressive the storyline has been. What I try and do is separate the two, uh, two arguments. But overall, I do think that the, uh, you know, I think the 49ers are a strong team. And I think that that's definitely important in winning a Super Bowl. We're just going to have to wait and see whether this specific formula with this specific quarterback is going to be able to get the whole thing done. I, I've said it before. When I talk about the 49ers and why I didn't believe they were going to win a Super Bowl coming into the season, this didn't mean I didn't think they were going to be a good team. Hell, I even said that they're probably the favorites to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. I just don't know if they're going to have and a firepower specifically at the most important position to get it done in that situation. And we'll wait and see. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess even that argument, Rohan is kind of hard to um, hard to defend. I would say on your, your point, because ever since Brock Purdy has been the quarterback of this team, they've put up more points than they've ever put up at any other time in the Shanahan regime. Right now, a lot of that has to do with CMC obviously being added. I was a big proponent that I think CMC has made the biggest change for this offense versus any other quarterback. But now we're going into 11 games where he's put up 30 plus points 
in more more than he hasn't. So to say, and this is against all level different le types of uh, of teams, right? So to me, I think that it's getting harder and harder for people to criticize Brock Purdy because it's like, okay, you say he doesn't have enough firepower. Well, he's putting up thirty plus points, pretty much more than any other 49ers quarterback has under this regime. He's not turning the ball over. You know, the things that there are obviously things that he's not perfect at, right? You could get better at the deep ball. I think ball positioning sometimes, ball placement, I should say, have been up and down. He hasn't put a full four quarters together of that. But his intangibles are much better than most quarterbacks in the league, I would say. And ultimately, like I said, you know, his, the stats that usually play a role in defining what's a good quarterback and what's not a good quarterback, he's not only good at, he's elite at. So um, at a certain point, it's kind of like, well, maybe he's not the strong arm type quarterback that every, that wows people, but ultimately it, the guy's effective and he wins games uh, consistently and, and makes this team much more, I guess, dangerous than previous quarterbacks, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe, like you said, he's better than previous quarterbacks. I also think that's a pretty low standard. The main thing, though, Sunil, isn't you, – you pointed out. You pointed out a lot of good points. You pointed out the amount of times that he's won. You've pointed out the amount of points the 49ers have scored, which is the most in the Shanahan regime, and it's at a high level. It's not just like you're talking about a low bar there. It's 30 points a game. Ultimately, though, my what I'm talking about isn't those type of accolades. It's the number one accolade that matters, and it's a Super Bowl. And overall, when you talk about these type of accolades – you can compile them, you can compile over and over again against the regular NFL competition. But when it comes to winning the damn thing, I don't know if that's going to happen this season. I ultimately don't. Does this mean it can't happen under Brock Purdy in, in a later year? No, I do think that this, uh, I, I do think that it could happen. I just personally don't believe that it will happen in 2023. I, I can go as far as making the Super Bowl. They could be three points short. I just don't think it'll happen in 2023. And you can, we can put all of this evidence together. It just comes down, though, to that specific game against a high-level against high-level competition and high-level competition. That's a different story overall, and that's where my kind of argument lies in potentially winning a Super Bowl versus not. They're contenders. I just don't think they're going to win it in 2023. Harold says Purdy has an it factor, but it will take non-believers time to acknowledge it. I'm gonna take that he as a, as a direct shot at you. I mean, he does. <laughs> it's not like I'm denying it. I, mean, I know. I it know. It factor is an interesting thing, but he does. He does. He has. Uh, you know, he has that extra that extra nudge to him. Um. So I know you're not big on predictions, Rohan. Uh, you have mentioned though that you feel like the 49ers can win by two scores, but if you were to list keys to the 49ers victory against the Cardinals, knowing what the Cardinals have and, you know, what the 49ers have, what do you think the 49ers need to make sure they do uh, to be able to win this game? That's a, that's a good, uh, a good question. I mean, when you look at how the 49ers win this game, I think the number one thing you have to look at is how do the Cardinals win their last game? And I alluded to it a little bit earlier. But the number one way they uh, they won last week's game is rushing for 222 yards on over seven yards a carry with James Conner being in the mix at 98 yards and a touchdown, you know, on seven yards a carry. And so the number one thing is stopping the run. And it's not only just ultimately just like killing the run to where they, you know, they only have 40 yards or something like that. No, it's early downs. Make sure that they have second and third with long distances so that they can't just run the football and go run, run, pass or run, run, run. You know, you have to make sure that you're forcing Josh Jobs, essentially putting the game in his hands, because in my opinion, he hasn't really proven that he'll win a game for you on his own. He'll be highly efficient at times, but that's the thing. I don't know if he'll win a game for you on his own, especially against a team like the 49ers. And so that's my number one key. It's stopping the run and really stopping the run on early downs. Number two is the quarterback contain. 49ers did a good job of this last week. Daniel Jones, 13 rushes for 43 yards, I believe. Josh Dobbs, though, last week, 
six rushes, 55 yards. It's those six certain plays, especially some on third downs, that you don't want them to move the chains and have an extra opportunity to score points. You, you can have a quarterback contained, which the 49ers demonstrated last week, force him to beat you with his arm. That's another way to forcing an efficient Arizona Cardinals passing attack or forcing one with a short average depth of target that forces them to kind of win in space against our tacklers. I think that's another important uh, concept. And maybe we'll go with the third one. I think it's a balanced pa- uh, it's a balanced approach. I think that, you know, the 49ers, they're going to have a good run game, but you have a good balanced approach. I think the 49ers can control game of pace or time of possession and also the pace of the game. I think that that's going to help them ultimately dictate the way this game goes. Three keys to win. Do you expect them to win? Not like like a blowout blowout, but fairly handedly. I said that I can see them winning by two scores in this one. Yeah, and I think that was great analysis. For me, there's just two 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 key points. One is going to be start fast, right? The the Cardinal. A lot of the things you mentioned, the 49ers can do by making the Cardinals one dimensional. And the way that they're able to do that is by putting up, you know, points. We we know that this defense that the Cardinals have is susceptible to getting points put up on them, um, you know, in in bunches. So I believe the 49ers need to be effective right from the jump. Make sure that they're scoring on their first few drives, and you know, putting the Cardinals on their back heel where now they have to play catch up versus having the lead like they've had. Um, in the, the, their past three games, because obviously when you have that ability to run the ball, um, which is their strength, um, they're going to continue to do it if they if they can. So I think 49ers starting fast can eliminate that. Like you said, put the put the ball in Dobbs' hands and see if he could beat you with his arm. Um, the second thing is the 49ers can't beat themselves. So ball security, not letting the uh, Cardinals get more opportunities through throwing interceptions, fumbling the ball. You know, the 49ers, each game that they've won this year, have won the turnover differential, right? And that needs to continue, that uh, the 49ers need to, um, you know, make sure that they win the turnover game and especially have ball security because that's the stuff that lets a team that may not have much hope in winning get a lot of hope, is continuing to give them the ball and more opportunities to score. So the 49ers have been pretty clean when it comes to turnovers. Brock Purdy hasn't thrown an interception um, you know, hopefully he could keep that streak alive uh, in this game because I think if they're able to do those two things, start fast and, and hold on to the ball, uh, it'll be a pretty easy victory for the 49ers as well. I think that both of those points are good. I think uh, when you talk about the turnover battle, right, it's more so of the concept of just beating, uh, you know, beating yourself. That's something the 49ers have done in the past in some of these trap games. And I like the way that you pointed that out earlier, a potential trap game. You know, in, in those games, the 49ers have beaten themselves with two things, penalties and turnovers. If they can limit that and continue to play the way that they have, it's going to be a tough way for the Arizona Cardinals to win. But that has to continue. Yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, previous teams have kind of played down and played up to the level of talent that they've had. And that we've always seen them kind of, give up one of these games where they should have won right last year i think it was the atlanta the one that stood out to me a game that we thought they're all going to win and they end up you know losing that game so i think this time around i feel like the team is a lot more focused and and, and locked in i don't think that that they're going to allow that to happen but it's still important that they execute um and i know i'm not going to ask for your score prediction but i did want you to to get get off um get out on this uh last question so obviously so cmc was named uh offensive player of the month um by the nfl that trade so i i think espn gave it like a c ranking when it first came out but it's turned out to be one of the greatest trades that the the 49ers have done um with this regime i think you know the cmc trade the trent williams trade are probably two of the best trades that they've made that have really impacted this team and and t- taking them to where they are. There's a lot of talk right now with possibly the availability of Patrick Sertain. And I don't want to necessarily get too in depth with that Rohan, because I don't think that that's actually true. I don't think he's available. And even if he is available, I don't think the 49ers are, will have the draft capital to be able to, to get a guy that young and that good right now. But I do want to ask you, 
based off of what you're seeing from this team right now, do the 40 need, 49ers need to add another piece? And if so, what, what piece do you think they need? And how dire do you think they need that piece? Yeah. Um, I think that this is a this is a, a packed question. I'll ride my horses uh, real quick or mm-hmm. ride my coattails real quick. When I said last year on the day of the CMC trade that it was a phenomenal trade, I know a lot of people – it was a mixed reaction because of the running back. I came on here and I came on a few shows and I said – this trade is going to be damn phenomenal with the way that the 49ers managed it, with their cap uh, situation, with their draft pick situation and things like that. But if we're looking at this year, when you look at this team, you question what truly do they need that they can honestly get on the market? Because if you're looking at potential upgrades overall, be it depth or be it, um, you know, be it depth or be it starting level, starting with the starters, I think the one, one position you might really worry about is right tackle. And you're not going to get a right tackle starting or backup level. You're not getting a right tackle via trade. People don't understand how hard it is to get offensive linemen via trade. You have to get it through free agency. And that's why it's such a scarcity is because even with rebuilding teams that have aging offensive linemen, you want something for when you draft the quarterback of your future, when you're trying to construct an offense, you want some infrastructure there and you want it to start in the trenches. That's why you go out and you pay some offensive linemen and things like that. Or you go out and you, you keep offensive linemen through the duration of their contract because you need some infrastructure in the trenches. Otherwise your offense will not work. And uh, teams are finding that out the hard way. And so that's why it's so hard to, to move um, offensive linemen. And why, you know, it's sometimes tough unless you overpay in free agency. And when you look at other positions, I mean, defensive end was the one that a lot of people were thinking about. And I don't think you need a starting piece because I think the top three are so dominant. I think that, honestly, Javon Hargrave might be, through three weeks, the 49ers' best defender. He's been that good. Ark Armstead was phenomenal through the uh, in game one, and he's been very, very solid. Javon Hargrave, uh, sorry, Javon Kinlaw has even found himself a role and is balling out. I mean, he mm-hmm. he's playing really well too. in some of those three D three uh, D tackle sets and also some of the, you know, the rotations that he's played with Nick Bosa, you, you might see only one sack, but he leads the team with 15 pressures. He also has, I believe it's like a 28.4% pass rush win rate, which is higher than he, what, what, what it was last year. He's also getting double team 37% of the time, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's working out and it's also leading to free matchups for whoever that other guy is. And Drake Jackson's starting to develop. A lot of his plays have been hustle plays, but I mean, regardless, the reason that those hustle plays are created and the reason that they're valuable is because those three guys are being able to do what they do. So I don't know if you necessarily need an elite fourth defensive lineman out there. Now, what I wouldn't be surprised by, and I hinted at this in the offseason, is you go back to 2020 and 2021. What do the 49ers do despite having strong defensive lines? They went out and traded for some depth pieces that could develop. Jordan Willis, your guy back in 2020, you mm-hmm. traded for 2021, Charles O'Menehue for a sixth round pick. And these guys were key pieces for 2021, 2022, before you know they ended up leaving as rotational pieces. Would not be surprised if the 49ers go out and get some some of those pieces, um, you know, potential rotational pieces that might not play the biggest role in 2022 but could acclimate and play a bigger role, sorry, in 2023, but acclimate and play a bigger role in 24 because the 49ers don't really have much edge depth. It's really two guys that they trust in Drake Jackson and Cleveland Farrell. Behind that, there's not much edge depth, and Farrell likely goes at the end of the season. Looks like he'll have a fine season. Might get a two-year deal worth like $8 million or something somewhere else. So he likely goes at the end of the season. If you find some young developmental talent that you could uh, have some team control over, maybe two years of team control, would not be surprised if they pulled the trigger on a trade there. Yeah, and you know, you, you I think you made the point great. Like, where where can the 49ers upgrade that's actual feasible actually feasible? And there's I don't think there's a position. I mean, obviously, if Patrick Sertain was there, corner. yeah, yeah, Patrick Sertain obviously is gonna be an upgrade, but when you say is it feasible? I mean, some people think that it, it, you could get him for a first-round pick and some other picks. I think it's going to be minimum two first-round picks to get him. And ultimately, even with him, he be, he's a great player, but does he have a CMC-like impact on the defense? 
I don't know if that's true necessarily, right? Because the defense doesn't necessarily elevate because of its corners. It's because of their defensive line and their linebackers, which they they have put, they, they are elite at both of those levels. To me, you want to save those first round picks, Rohan, because of what you mentioned, right? Where they do need an upgrade is at the tackle positions, whether it be right tackle or whomever is going to be the heir apparent to Trent Williams, because he's not going to be here for more than I would say one or two years. Right. So the best chance that they have at that is in the first round. And so giving up your first round draft picks then makes it harder to upgrade those positions, which are key. I think more important than upgrading the cornerback position. I think that's fair. And I also think even at corner, I know a lot of people are on the Sertan train right now. Um, I love Patrick Sertan. I was a huge fan of Patrick Sertan back in the Trey Lance 2021 draft. I had him as my cornerback one. He was one of my favorite cornerbacks like that I've scouted. And he was also different because he's not the fastest cornerback and things like that. He was a more, uh, you know, he's a 6'2 guy, lengthy, might not have the best hips overall, but he's improved significantly. And he also, you know, he's a press guy. I loved him as a cornerback. Here's what I'll say, though, on the Patrick Sertan stuff. I think you bring up a good point. Um, you, you wonder about the true impact. I think he's going to be very impactful. I don't know if it'll be seen on the stat sheet or maybe even on the on the film in terms of balls thrown at him because you probably don't throw at Patrick Sertan. But overall, those two first-round picks or one first-round pick that you trade for, I think that that first-round pick is going to be vital. Why? Because the 49ers need to draft a tackle. It's going to be a left or right tackle. Or you, it might be one moving from right to left in two years or something like that. You need mm-hmm. a tackle in this next draft. And this is a good tackle class. You want to draft one in the first round. And so if you're going to trade a first-round pick, I would not trade your 2024 first-round pick. But the Broncos aren't going to accept anything lower than a 2024 first-round pick. And I also question whether they really would trade Patrick Sertan. Because um, I don't think Sean Payton's going to entertain a rebuild, a real rebuild over there in Denver. It would salvage some of their first round picks back after losing them in the Wilson trade. But I, I wonder what it's going to go, what, what's going to happen there. Would not be surprised, though, if they get a different corner that isn't nearly as expensive, but potentially starting caliber. You know, uh, one of those salary dump type of things at the, at the trade deadline could happen. Could happen, and it wouldn't cost you as much. Maybe a second round pick, a third round pick, and I think that they they could afford to lose one of their second or third round picks. Understanding the compensatory value that's coming back yeah. their way this year, I wouldn't even mess with the second round pick to be honest, because I could I could see them drafting two tackles with their first two picks because of how yeah. in dire need they they need of that, right? So, um, but I do agree with you. I think if any position they do bring in is going to be corner and you can tell that just by their behaviors, right? They're working out a lot of corners. Obviously Jason Barrett's name was somebody that they're working out. I think he's a fan favorite who the 49ers would love to be able to, you know, at least me, if you could get Jason Barrett at 80% of what Jason Barrett was capable of, that would be amazing. That would be such an upgrade and such a key component to the 49ers. But obviously, you know, he hasn't been able to stay healthy and, who knows what he's capable of after two really serious injuries. But you know that the 49ers do need some more cornerbacks. Um, hopefully, Luter Jr. is going to get healthy here. Um, he should be coming up off of IR in the next couple of weeks, I think, if he's if he's healthy. Um, you know, we want to get Samuel Womack back. So I guess depending on whether or not these guys come back healthy or not, maybe the 49ers go out there and try to get somebody like you mentioned at the trade before the trade deadline that could really help with more depth than actual starting capability, because I think they're happy with Demo and Ward on the outside and Isaiah Oliver has been playing better at the slot. So we shall see, man, we shall see. So great show. Great show. Yeah. Great show. Rohan. Is there anything that you need to plug before we uh, get out of here? Nah, man, y'all know where to find me. uh, Search up my name on YouTube. Rohan Chakravarti, we got the channel there. This will probably, I, I'm not dual streaming this, so this will probably go up there sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, it's going to, you know, stay tuned. We're going to have some content over there for sure, but appreciate you, man. It was a fun show and uh, definitely glad uh, Chop Shop. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think we don't plug it enough, Rohan. You not only do the content through YouTube, but you're also a writer, man, at 49er Web Zone. So That's true. I, I, you always have uh, some pretty interesting topics that you talk about. So 
why don't you plug uh, where they could find your writing at as well? Yeah, 49erswebzone.com. Um, don't always plug it like Sunil says, but that's a place where I put a lot of my content and sometimes even more than I put up online here just because I have thoughts and I want to write about them. And sometimes I don't always want to stream or uh, you know, the timing doesn't align. So I'll write about them and uh, I'll put them out there. So 49erswebzone.com, if you prefer written content, go ahead and check that out. would definitely appreciate the support. Yeah, and, and just to, for the guys that are still in the chat right now, Rohan actually has built quite a name in the content creation, not only because of what he does on these streams, but a lot of what he does writing. He's pretty sought after um, from, you know, a lot of different 49er publications as far as wanting him to write for them. But he's pretty loyal to who, who got him into the game. So he stays with them. But definitely go catch his writing. I, I like uh, retweeting his writing and, you know, looking at it, too, because he he does. He's very analytical. And you get a lot more. Um, I think he's probably, he's a great speaker, but he's even better writer when it comes to formulating his thoughts. So make sure you go check that out. I appreciate that. Um, as for me, this is probably the last stream of the week, but you can always catch me Tuesdays. I do my show with Jesse and uh, me and Rohan, we're trying to work on getting something back regular uh, for us too. And hopefully we'll get that figured out before the season's over. But um, like I always say, stay safe, stay hydrated. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.